In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Tyreek Hill explodes, Antonio Gibson and James Robinson continue to impress, and Week 12 crushes fantasy managers. We're talking all that and more on Roto-Viz Radio. Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Indeed and Bet Online. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz. I am joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matthew Friedman. It was a wild week in NFL news. But before I forget, Matt, you know that I have been talking about building a podcast studio in my basement for a very long time. A couple of floods have ruined it. I would like to officially announce that I am finally in the newly created studio. So something good did happen this weekend. What um, what makes it a studio versus what it was before? Well, I'll tell you what makes it a studio versus what it was before is now that um, I have... All of basically everything has its home and everything has been set up in a way so that all the cords tuck in nicely. I have a nice backdrop built behind me. I'm in a quarter or a corner of the room where I have like cool wood paneling up behind me. All of my, you know, sports related trinkets. The lighting has been done in the room. Uh, There's like carpet back on the floor, which helps with the sound. Um, My mic stand is set up in a place that that works nicely. I will actually post a video of this on Twitter so people can get a sense. Um, I don't know if anybody's going to care, but I've been putting a lot into this and I'm, I'm, I'm happy that it's finally done. So that's kind of, I guess, what makes okay. it a studio versus yeah. what it was before. So it has more to do with the uh, sort of aesthetics of everything as opposed to sort of like the, uh, I mean, sure, there's like the improved sound quality with uh, the the carpet or the, the rug on the ground, but it has more to do with sort of like the presentation of everything as opposed to uh, kind of the sound quality. Yes, exactly. Because I, I think okay. we were more or less there. There's, there's probably not even going to be a perceptible difference for the average listener out there. Maybe somebody that was really into audio quality would be able to identify it. Um, yeah, if, if Pat Corain listens to this, he's going to <laughs> notice the difference, but he might be the only one. Right, right. Absolutely. Um, with that out of the way, how weird of a week has it been? And have you ever seen a news cycle like the one we just had, Matt? No, this it was incredible. Uh, I felt like uh, I was trying to take little chunks of last week off to enjoy the holiday and I would take three hours off and then I would look at the news and I would have to uh, like redo projections. And uh, it felt like that for days on end. And as a, a kind of like marker of how weird this cycle was when we recorded this show last week, I think news had just broken that uh, Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins were entering the COVID protocol uh, and they would be unavailable for the Week 12 game, which was supposed to be the primetime game on Thursday night, uh, Thanksgiving. And they are still yet to play that quote-unquote Week 12 game. It's going to be played this week, presumably on Wednesday afternoon. And... Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins have now exited the COVID protocol. Like they like the, the the COVID protocol cycle for them took longer than like the game time of like when they're supposed to play. So it's it's been incredible that this is where we are. And that doesn't even touch on like all of the other random things that happened. Like 
I mean, most importantly, uh, the fact that the the NFL made the Broncos play a game without a functional NFL quarterback. Uh, absolutely just amazing. Uh, and of course, Matt Patricia being fired, uh, Dave Caldwell being fired in Jacksonville, uh, you know, just all of the other randomness that starts to pick up at this time of the year with all of the COVID stuff on top of it. Yeah, I actually started making a list of of all of the things that went on. And I was like, the amount of time it's going to take me to go back through all of the news and try to pull this list together just doesn't make sense. And when I thought everything was over, as I'm getting ready to get everything set up for this podcast, what do I discover? Will Fuller, six-game suspension for PEDs, out for the rest of the season. And it just continues, Matt. That, that was the one that really broke my spirit, uh, like on a, a personal level, because, you know, like I like I have a great dynasty team, like I feel like it's a contender, but things just aren't going well for it. And then like I have Will Fuller and now he's he's out like that was just for me. That was like the sign of like, OK, I'm, I'm not winning the championship this year. But then also, you know, like I love Will Fuller, like as a, a football fan. Uh, just because of how dynamic he is. And as an analyst, you know, like I was one of the people I was like, Hey, Will Fuller, like starting in round seven, round eight, round nine, like just take him every league. And I still think that was a good call. Like up until this point, he's been great. He's returned value. Even, even though he's missing the rest of the season, he still paid off at his draft position, but it's just like the difference between like a total smash and a pick that was just very, very good. So, I mean, this season, I don't know what to say about it, but the Will Fuller thing just broke my spirit. Yeah, definitely did for me as well. I've always been a big fan of Fuller. And what I was enjoying the most about it was, I mean, he's, like you said, has been tremendous. And we're going to finally get to see what a full season of him was like. And with the way Deshaun Watson has been playing, they've just been a lot of fun to watch. You know, there, it's a shame, too, because I have on my main event team, um, the like my main team, right? The one that I was really relying on, Deshaun Watson and a Will Fuller stack, which paid off perfectly mm. this weekend. But I feel like for a lot of people, this was such a strange week because I left the Thursday games super thrilled about a lot of my teams. By the end of the weekend, Matt, I actually was at the point with some of them where I literally had to play guys that were not going to be playing uh, because of the way everything fell with these games. Then I was thinking that Gus Edwards could be my savior for some of them. It's looking like that's not going to happen. There are probably a lot of people listening to this that are just super frustrated right now. I was in, I was on extreme tilt, but I guess we just have to put it in perspective and at least we're actually getting the games, but it is going to be weird. Yeah. Imagine everyone who last week, had the Gus Edwards news of like, oh, this guy's going to be a starter on Thanksgiving. And then like that keeps on getting pushed back. It gets pushed back two days and then another two days and then another day. And then now Ingram and Dobbins are back. It's just, I I mean, it's such a kick in the crotch. Oh, huge. And then you also had the issue too of just if you had important players in that game, you didn't really know what was going to be going on with it, who might end up having COVID, who would be available. So you were kind of forced into making suboptimal decisions, like playing Marquez Valdez-Scantling last night, uh, you know, among others. But uh, that's enough with my frustrations. So we touched upon Will Fuller. Interestingly enough, the Texans had recently cut Kenny Stills, my take on this, Matt, is obviously you're going you're going to have Brandon Cooks picking up some of that slack as well as the other receivers. I'm not sure though that anybody might actually be more impacted than Deshaun Watson. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I think he will take a step back just because um, you know Fuller has had a Deshaun Watson esque. Sorry, did I say Deshaun Watson? Uh, Deshaun Jackson esque influence uh on uh like the quarterbacks that he's been with and uh we should probably expect to see uh watson playing with less efficiency i do think we will see um cook get a little more target volume but like i'm wondering how much more target volume he can actually bear right because he's already the number one receiver in that offense i think it's really going to be the tight ends and then potentially Kiki Cutie, uh, who has like resurrected, um, I mean, a guy who two years ago as a rookie seemed like potentially 
the next big thing in that offense did nothing last year. Maybe he's a guy who actually gets a ton of volume moving forward. Uh, I mean, I'm a little skeptical, but the targets have to go somewhere. Yeah, they definitely do. Um, so we'll see what happens there. You know, the other kind of variable that's hanging out there is what happens with David Johnson rest of the season, how that might impact Duke Johnson. We finally saw Duke put together another good game in on Thanksgiving, had that long touchdown reception, I believe about 17 points on uh, most scoring systems. So we'll have to see what happens now. If you're interested in... Um, Deshaun Watson's adjusted yards per attempt, and we do a minimum of around 25 targets on the season. Will Fuller at 11.58, followed by Darren Fells at 11.33. Then Jordan Thomas, then... Oh, wait, sorry, I'm going back to 2009 um, here. I didn't didn't uh, filter out, but what you're seeing there is basically that he's had his most productive pairing with, with Will Fuller, which probably isn't surprising over the course of his career. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Jones might miss, uh, week 13. I had noted here, but I believe that since it's, it's looking like, uh, a more pessimistic situation. So we might see Colt McCoy stepping into the fray for an extended period of time for New York. Um, what do you think that this does as far as the, uh, offensive players in the offense goes? Um, I mean, I think it makes everyone a little less intriguing and they were already all not that intriguing anyway. Um, so I mean, whatever it was that you thought of all of them, like drop them down a tier. Uh, the one that I think it actually probably like from a fantasy perspective impacts the most is Evan Ingram, um, yeah. who was getting a pretty good number of targets, over the past month, six weeks, uh, and had kind of like catapulted himself into, you know, like the tight end one, like kind of reliable tight end one range. Um, now I think he's going to be much less reliable, which is a, a real pain because the, I mean, the tight end position is already so thin. The wide receivers, I mean, I don't think anyone was really wanting to start any of those guys anyway. So I don't think it makes much of a difference there. Yeah, I agree there. And seeing as we're talking about New York, here's a weird thing, Matt. Did you know that Wayne Gallman has scored a touchdown in every game now going back to week seven, inclusive of two touchdowns in week 10 against the Eagles? Um, I know. What is going on here? I mean, like, this has to stop it. I've been writing now for a couple of weeks that this has to end soon. Uh, I mean, does it? I feel like it's sort of a version of what's been happening with Antonio Gibson. Yep. I mean, obviously he's not as good as Antonio Gibson, but, you know, like we have a similar situation of a lead running back on uh, an offense that isn't that good, but because it's not that explosive, that means there aren't really long touchdowns. Uh, and then when they get near the goal line, they're just adamant about giving the ball to their running back. And so he's getting, uh, you know, like the opportunities to score a touchdown a game. Um, I don't actually know why it would have to stop unless they play a team that is just really good. And then there are just fewer goal line opportunities uh, to begin with. But um, yeah, I think, I mean, Gallman with the usage that he's getting, especially this past game, I mean, granted they, they were leading for a chunk of the game. So he had maybe more carries than usual. He had 24, but uh, his number of, of rush attempts, like it's easily bumped up uh, from week seven. He had 10 and then 12, 14, 18, 24. Uh, the number of carries he's gotten has increased each week. Now it's not to say that he's going to get like 30 carries next week, but it, I mean, it sort of signals signifies the extent to which he is becoming uh, increasingly the focal point of their offensive attack as, as weird as that is to say, because I don't think he's all that good, but he's getting, I mean, over the past five weeks, 15.6 carries per game and three targets per game. That's, I mean, that's good enough to make him someone that you pretty much have to start every week, especially given his goal line role. So are you telling me, that when Saquon Barkley comes back into the picture next season, we could have a running back controversy in the Giants' backfield. 
No, you know that I'm absolutely not saying that, but I am saying that I wish I had, I mean, this is how sad my life is in the 2020 season is I wish I had Wayne Gallman on literally a hundred percent of my fantasy teams right now. Well, you know, I mean, honestly, I think that there's a lot of teams out there that should be, um, because he's actually given them a pretty decent floor since he really took over for them. Um, and also if you go back to, um, week seven, two RB two finishes and the rest of his games have been RB one finishes. So 30% of his games this year have been RB one finishes. That is nothing to scoff at. Uh, so just, you know, another weird thing going on this season, Josh Jacobs might be out next week with an ankle sprain. It doesn't look like it's anything too serious. Uh, would you be interested in either of the running backs that you could replace him with in uh, Las Vegas? Yeah, I mean, I think Devontae Booker, he's been the guy who's really come on over the past month, past six weeks as the number two back. The weird thing is they really haven't used him all that much as a receiver, and that was, uh, at least in Denver, uh, the skill set that provided the most value. Um, But he's been getting consistently a handful of carries uh, each game and in some games, I mean, uh, game 10, week 10, uh, he had 16 carries the week before that. I mean, he's you know consistently being used uh, and given that he's the, the guy who's already establishes the number two back and he's the bigger bodied guy. Uh, I think he's the lead back there. Got it. Um, Philip Lindsay had a knee injury that really limited him in that super weird game against the Saints over the weekend. We actually saw Royce Freeman get a fair amount of work. Freeman is a player going back now a couple of years that I really liked coming out of school and was never really able to put things together, got outplayed by Lindsay. Naturally, they also have Melvin Gordon in the backfield. Uh, A, do you think that we see this trend of using Freeman continue? And B, if so, is he worth people considering on the waiver wire? No. um, I don't think so I don't think, yeah. I'd say let's let's move on. Not much to say there. (laughs) Uh, DJ Moore suffered a non-contact injury. The team's on by in week 13. Unclear if he'll be out in week 14. I'm not sure that there's really too much else to report there other than uh, you know, it's just more of an encouraging sign for Curtis Samuel and Robbie Anderson in that game. Uh, the other note being, we finally saw Robbie Anderson score a touchdown, uh, his first since week one. Yeah, uh, with DJ Moore, yeah, as you say, he's on by week 13, so we just kind of have to wait and see. But it, it seems as if he will probably be okay coming back. Um, but yeah, Robbie Anderson, I mean, still, I think, the number one receiver within that offense. But it is very close between Anderson and DJ Moore. For sure. Uh, were there any other major pieces of injury or other news that I'm I'm just leaving out that you uh, think we need to talk about? Uh, I mean, honestly, I can't even remember. Uh, like Thanksgiving feels like it was a month ago. It really does. Um, yeah. All right. Um, all right. Antonio Gibson, Matt, is fourth in total touchdowns at the running back position, fifth in PPR per game, seven in fantasy points over expectation. Um. The Washington football team ranks ninth uh, in PFF um, run blocking. Uh, Gibson's at 4.6 yards per carry, so perhaps that might be boosting him up a little bit. But still, I think it's important to note that it through a running back's first 12 weeks of the season since 2000, he ranks 11th in PPR points, uh, which is really just a testament to how strong he has been And it really looks like he's continuing to improve. Perhaps Washington somewhat trends forward. I know we've talked to him, talked about him a number of times, but you still just have to be so encouraged. Yeah. I mean, he has pretty significant splits in that um, discounting week one when he really wasn't established yet as the lead back. Uh, If you look at the games that they've won week seven and then weeks 11 and 12, he's really gone off in those weeks, like had his three best performances in those weeks. Uh, And then in all of the other games uh, in which Washington has lost, he has still been okay, uh, but he hasn't been nearly as productive. So like, I don't want to say that he's uh, a game script 
dependent back because I, I think he does have a, a three down skill set and he's still developing. Um, and I, I think next year we will see a guy who is very independent of whatever is happening within the game where he can produce no matter the game state. But right now he is at this point um, still very much uh, dependent on what is happening around him. And so I think it's a situation you look ahead at the schedule. He has uh, a game against Pittsburgh, a game against San Francisco, a game against Seattle, you know, Washington will be underdogs in all of those games. They will likely lose all of those games. Uh, All of those teams have good run defenses. So it could be like still a situation of kind of tough sledding ahead, for Antonio Gibson. Um, but I don't want any of what I said just to take away from how awesome he is. And like, I think he's a locked in top 12 back next year, both in terms of where you draft him and in terms of like the production he's going to give you. Got it. You know, the interesting thing too about Washington has been that JD McKissick has been largely usable. I've actually been starting him on a number of teams now for a couple of weeks. Didn't have a great game on Thanksgiving but he's also contributed. Now, I don't have the stats updated to include Thanksgiving, but if you looked at um, Gibson and McKissick through um, the games prior to Week 12, uh, JD, 49% of his opportunity was coming when the team was trailing, 8% when it was ahead. Gibson, 41% of his opportunity was coming when the team was trailing. When When I say trailing, I'm going eight points down or more and ahead being eight points up or more. Uh, so McKissick, 49 trailing, 8% ahead. Gibson, 41% trailing, uh, 13% ahead. So obviously it does skew a little bit toward McKissick, and it's a little bit tough for a team that has been um, going into the uh, Thanksgiving game. They had been trailing on 43% of plays. So, you know, um, but still, if you're looking at the percentages, it does give you kind of an interesting comparison. So there definitely is something to the game script, but I just want to make sure we don't, or listeners don't overweight that in their mind. Um, Moving along, James Robinson to continue with these rookie running backs. I know we keep going back to rookies this year, but a lot of them have been so impressive. He ranks third in rushing yards, six in receiving yards, seventh in total touchdowns among running backs, six in PPR, 10 in fantasy points over expectation through week 12 in that same thing that we were looking at with Gibson, where you're looking at rookie running backs through 12 weeks since 2000, he ranks seventh. When you start looking at the names in that list, just like incredible company to be in with the exception of perhaps Trent Richardson, but it speaks to what he's been able to (laughs) do. And I don't know, do we count Doug Martin as one of those guys that washed out a little too quickly? Uh, yeah, I mean, he had injuries and he was on a crappy team, but the fact that he like revived his career, like he had that one really good rookie season, did nothing for a couple of years. And then in his fourth season, he like came back and had another great season. Like the fact that he had two really good years kind of makes it a little bit better, but yeah, yeah the fact that he had one really good season as a rookie and then only one good season after that is kind of a knock against him. Yeah. Um, But nonetheless, though, uh, James Robinson, it really is crazy what he's doing. And I know he's getting a lot of work, but even if you went into the season knowing that a running back was going to be getting a lot of work in the Jaguars offense, I don't know if you would have been convinced that that was going to be enough for him to do things like we've seen Robinson do. So just supremely impressive. Yeah, absolutely. If if you had told me that uh, an undrafted rookie was going to end up being the lead back, I would have assumed uh, that still he wouldn't be all that efficient. And even if he's the lead back, he's splitting uh, a significant amount of the work with someone else. And I would say especially the receiving work. And I would have assumed it was Chris Thompson or Divine Zigbo or, or someone else. Um, the fact that he's been able to keep and not keep like consolidate, like his workload has increased as the season has gone on. The fact that he's been able to consolidate all of this workload uh, is just, uh, I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's unimaginable, but uh, it is incredibly impressive. And I think it speaks to 
the long-term potential that he has. Like, I don't think he's a one-year guy. Like, I think he will be the guy that they plan to use going into next season. Of course, it's probably going to be a new coaching staff. So you never really know how they're going to evaluate a guy, even though he was great last year, a guy who was an undrafted rookie coming into the league. You just, you never know. But I'm imagining that next year he does something pretty similar to what he did this year. Yeah, you know, another interesting thing, he has not gone under 10 PPR points the entire season, and we've also now seen him continue to be productive across three different quarterbacks. Um, So, you know, weathering a lot of odds that could be thrown at him. Tyreek Hill, 13 for 15, 269 yards and three touchdowns. He's top 10 in everything except racer. Uh, making a strong case as one of the top two, you could maybe even argue receivers in the NFL. Uh, I guess the, the ultimate question here, Matt, is how long does Tyreek Hill continue this in his career playing with Pat Mahomes? Because I think a lot of people are feeling like right now, if you look in a three-year window, Hill might be as good of a fantasy asset as any other wide receiver. Yeah, I don't see why this would stop. Unless he suffers a, you know, catastrophic injury, like unless he tears an ACL, whatever it is, something like that. But otherwise, I think it just continues. Um, He did miss some games last year, but I feel like that was kind of fluky. Other than that, he's been healthy for basically his entire career. Uh, And I know that he's like a speed guy, but like, given the speed that he has, he actually has pretty decent size. It's not like he's like 165, like 170 pounds. Like he's around 190 ish pounds. Like he basically is like Steve Smith. Like that's the size that he has. And I think he also has like a decent amount of like the Steve Smith. I don't know, like the Steve Smith kind of like personality or like ferociousness when it comes to like the way that he plays. Um, So I don't know. It's not like I'm a tape guy who's like, he plays bigger than his size, but I think there, there is something about his style of play to where it's not just like, he's a small guy in the, the moment that he loses even just a little bit of his speed, he's done. Uh, I think like, even when he loses speed, he will still be faster than a lot of guys, and he will still have, I think, a style of play that helps him. And then, of course, I mean, being with Patrick Mahomes and being with Andy Reid, I mean, he's he's 26 right now. I think that this could last um, another three years with the possibility of a longer tail of it lasting, you know, like even two years after that. Not that like he stays leading the league that entire time, but top five that entire time. I, I think that's pretty, I think that's pretty realistic. Austin Eckler returns, puts up 23.9 PPR points, had 14 rushes, but 16 targets produced 129 yards from scrimmage. An impressive performance in his return, uh, really demonstrating why a lot of people were so high on him heading into the season. Keenan Allen had 10 targets. I guess a question might be, do we think that we only see, yes, only 10 targets uh, for Allen as a relation to Eckler returning? Mike Williams had just five. Hunter Henry had 10. Yeah, I mean... Uh, 10 targets, it sounds like a lot, and it is, um, but uh, it's not as many as, you know, Michael, uh, sorry, as uh, Keenan Allen had been seen before that. And uh, in terms of market share, uh, you know, he, he certainly took a hit there. Um, and I mean, the fact is still, even though Keenan Allen has been producing, he still hasn't been all that efficient on a per target basis. And so any, uh, any diminishment that we see in his target volume uh, can hit him pretty hard because he really needs all of those targets in order to produce. Fair enough. Uh, Cam Newton, just 4.8 points, Matt. Hasn't thrown for more than one touchdown in any game, only four on the season. Passing yardage averaging just around 200 is it still safe to play him over someone like maybe a Philip Rivers or a Baker Mayfield for teams that are in must-win situations as we close out the year? 
I mean, I would still go with Cam Newton, but um, I mean, part of that is I just have so little faith in Philip Rivers and Baker Mayfield and guys like that. Uh, that I would just rather roll the dice with someone who still like on a weekly basis has a pretty high rushing floor. Yeah, I think this is a really tough one. It's probably situational depending on your team and what you think that you need in your matchup. Um, but also, you know, if you remove this game and you look at the, not, not that you can just take away games, but I guess the overarching point is, Cam had been doing okay up until this particular game. Maybe not as strong as it looked like he was going to be after weeks one and two. Um, But if you're going to let this rattle you entirely off of him, I would still be interested in looking at his way way if I need that upside. Um, Knowing that it's possible he could fall flat on his face, but I don't think that 4.8 points is going to be a norm for him even if he's not really producing that much as a passer. Uh, Trey, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, in the Scott fishbowl, I think he had negative points this week, negative 5.5 points. Now, obviously that's, you know, kind of uh, unique scoring settings there in the Scott fishbowl, but it does speak to the, uh, the lack of a floor that he might have, like he could totally explode. Um, even like sometimes like the rushing, floor might not be sturdy enough to compensate for the uh, inadequacies he has as a passer, but I would still rather, I would still rather have him than Phillip rivers. All right. Fair enough. All right. So we are going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Twenty twenty has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites. Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria and you can contact them the moment you sponsor a job making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visit Indeed each month, according to Comscore Total Visits, so it's clear Indeed can help get you the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast try indeed out with a free 75 dollars credit at indeed.com slash blue wire this is their best offer available anywhere go right now to indeed.com slash blue wire offer valid through december 31 terms and conditions apply so Taysom hill rushed for two touchdowns it appears that he is just really destroying jared cook's value Alvin Kamara, just two targets. Michael Thomas led the team with just six targets. Of course, the Broncos didn't have an actual NFL quarterback on their roster for this game. How much do you think that uh, fantasy managers should be reading into the offensive results of that game as they move forward with the Saints players that they might have on their rosters? Um, I don't know. Like it's It's a mix. So I think Taysom Hill has said... I don't know if any coach has said, but Taysom Hill has said that um, once the Saints realized the situation that the Broncos had going on, that the Saints themselves actually changed their game plan a little bit so that they wouldn't uh, show so much. So they like intentionally went with a stripped down offense, um, basically turning Taysom Hill into a version of Tim Tebow. Um, but uh, I mean, the, I think the truth is, Taysom Hill actually still is a version of Tim Tebow, like whether they plan on him throwing or they plan on him running. Um, I don't really think that he's all that good 
of an NFL passer, uh, despite what he did uh, in week 11, where he looked decent, but I feel like a lot of that was just kind of circumstantial. And, you know, maybe he's better than I give him credit for. And, you know, with the help of Sean Payton, who can scheme things open for him, he can look like a competent, uh, a competent, you know, like real life quarterback. But um, I just don't really have much faith in him as an actual player. That said, it kind of doesn't matter like for him, because I think he has a pretty high fantasy floor with his rushing ability. But uh, when it comes to everyone else in that offense, uh, he pretty much destroys the value that they have. Like you, you cannot count on them, uh, especially at this point, which is sad to say uh, Alvin Kamara, whose pass catching uh, prowess has been totally shelved with Taysom Hill at quarterback. Yeah, I wasn't entirely sure if I should completely panic on these guys last week. Um, I made the mistake uh, of saying that I would still be okay with people starting Jared Cook. I think that should change even um, if this game wasn't indicative of an actual game from the Saints. But yeah, I mean, I I am starting to panic on these guys. Even Michael Thomas, to some extent, I'm worried about. Um, I think if you... Well... I think it's possible if you have a zero running back team, you might not be starting Michael Thomas. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say, I don't even think it's possible. Ooh. I think I'm going to have somewhere that's going to be the case. Yeah. I mean, I that it's possible. It is so tough though, because in the two games uh, with Taysom Hill, I still think he has a market share of like 45, 49, whatever. I mean, whatever it is, it is a outrageously high number. Uh, and so it's just hard to believe that, yeah, it's a 49% target share. Yeah, it's share. 52 and then 43. Yeah, 49% target share over the past two weeks, 18 targets over the past two weeks. Like, are you really going to turn down nine targets a game? Well, I, I guess what if the other options that you have are like Amari Cooper, DJ Moore, Stefan Diggs, and... um. I forget who my other guy on that specific team is, but somebody that's like in that like wide receiver 30 range. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I still uh, think yeah, maybe he's still in, I don't know. Yeah. I still think you have to, in most cases, I mean, you're just living a, a hashtag how rich life with all of these wide receivers, but most ordinary people are probably still unfortunately going to have to start Michael Thomas. Yeah. All right. That's probably a fair point. Um, moving along. Let's get to your boy, Matt. Cam Akers, who looked a lot better than Daryl Henderson, went for 84 rushing yards on just nine attempts. Henderson went for just 19 on 10. Um, Cam Akers has been trending upward. Henderson has been trending downward. How are you feeling about Cam looking to the rest of the season? Uh, I mean, I don't want to get too carried away. Uh, because it is just one game. Daryl Henderson still out carried him. Um, Malcolm Brown is still there being annoying. He's going to get a handful of touches. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to be, I, I don't, I, I, I still don't think we can start Cam Akers at this point. Like, I think at this point you hold him and you hope that maybe things just work out where acres ends up being the clear lead back. But other than that, I still think it's a timeshare. And if it's a timeshare, I just, I don't think that acres has a high enough of a floor where you can start him. Got it. Yeah. Um, it hurts me to say that. Yeah, I know, but I, I think that it does make sense. And I don't think this is one of those situations where even though acres produced so well on the opportunity he was given and Henderson struggled that the Rams are just going to say, all right, we're going to start to change things or go with a hot hand approach or anything like that. They've been pretty consistent with splitting work. Even when acres was out, we saw Malcolm Brown still remaining involved, which, you know, he still even is. So it doesn't look like one of those situations. Another backfield that could be a little tricky is the Atlanta Falcons backfield. So Todd Gurley was out this weekend. If Gurley is to miss substantial time, you're going to be choosing between Ito Smith and Brian Hill. Now, Smith, in some respects, actually outplayed Hill. Hill had 13 attempts, managed 55 yards. Smith, 12 attempts, 
65 yards and a touchdown. But as receivers, Smith saw five targets, four wrecks. Um, Hill, one target, did not turn that into a reception. To this point in the season, we had seen Hill be the more used player by the Falcons. Could any of this be just the fact that they absolutely blew the doors off this game and crushed the Raiders? Or do you think this is a trend that we might see continue, Matt? I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the Falcons were just ahead by so much. And so it was uh, game script a little bit. You know, you see Ido Smith, he scored his touchdown in the fourth quarter when they were ahead 33 to six. So put them up, you know, 40 to six. Um, I still think for the rest of the season, Brian Hill is the guy that you want. Um, Whenever Todd Gurley was active, Hill was still the number two back behind him. And for a period of time, Smith was a game day inactive. Uh, So Hill still seems like the lead back. He's built more like the lead back, Um, but he probably will lose as we saw in this game a significant amount of work, especially in the receiving game to Edo Smith. Yep. That's kind of what I'm thinking as well. Um, they have shown us that they're more inclined to use Hill as the backup to Gurley. And I just don't see a reason that in a normal game with a normal flow, um, he's still not going to have a chance to perform. So we will have to see how that continues to develop. Uh, uh, another position group that people might be curious about. Now, obviously, Adam Thielen um, is a bit of a cog in this wheel. But let's say that um, you are looking for wide receivers to add. Do you think that there's any other Minnesota wide receivers other than Thielen or Jefferson that could be worth adding? We've seen Kirk Cousins have a good stretch of games now. We've seen, even with Jefferson being awesome, other players start to get involved. What do you think? Uh, no. Um, I'm not really interested in Ola B.C. Johnson or Chad Beebe. The guy I would actually be most interested in, and this is disgusting, is uh, Kyle Rudolph. Um, but with Thielen out and Irv Smith Jr. out, uh, it just means that there are more opportunities available, uh, just more targets in general, but then also more uh, red zone and you know, essentially goal line targets available. Like Thielen has really feasted this year by being targeted in the end zone so heavily. And with Thielen out, um, that means that, you know, Rudolph is kind of the next man up uh, just in terms of like his red zone ability. So he is, I think now much more intriguing uh, than he was previously. All right. I'm glad that I asked that then because uh, the Rudolph angle was one that I actually was not anticipating you taking. Um, Let's just talk quickly, though, about the Cincinnati Bengals stayed in the game with the Giants over the weekend without Joe Burrow. Um, But it was a rough day for pretty much everyone offensively, except T Higgins, who went five of five for 40 yards and a touchdown. Based upon. Yeah, that's that's the best day. Yeah, um, I think that this is rightfully so discouraging for pretty much all of the players in the offense. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty much hands off and the fact that, okay, so think about how bad the, uh, let me make sure I I get this right. I'm actually looking at the, the right games here, but, uh, think about how bad the, uh, the Vikings are and then they are opening as a pretty, nope, sorry. I was thinking of the Jags. Who is it? Oh, the dolphins. Yes. Sorry. The dolphins, uh, I mean, the Dolphins are a pretty inconsistent team, but they are already 11 and a half point favorites at home against the Bengals. Oh boy. And th- like the Dolphins as 11 and a half point favorites, uh, it just shows like how, how bad the Bengals are or like how much disrespect there is in the market for the Bengals without Joe Burrow. Yeah. You know, I forget exactly what it was, but I think PFF gave Allen like a, a around like a 50 grade for the game. Um, I think he completed under 60% of passes too. Um, so it's not a surprise that we're already opening at that. Um, as far as these fantasy players go, maybe, you know, last week we thought it was Tyler Boyd you could roll with. Maybe it is T. Higgins though. I don't think you go with anybody. Really? I mean, 
to, yeah, to be honest, I, I mean, okay, I would, I would prefer Boyd over Higgins because I think he will have more targets and they will be shorter targets. So easier to turn them into receptions. Um, but yeah, I mean, Higgins had only five targets. I think Higgins is the better player, both like in terms of like reality and then in terms of what he might do for fantasy long-term. But for now, given the circumstances, I prefer Boyd. Okay. And then um, just to make the quick note here, Boyd actually did see six targets, only completed three wrecks for 15 yards. Uh, let's shift now to maybe some longer-term questions, Matt. So Raheem Mostert returned to action for the 49ers, had 16 rushing attempts and a touchdown, just 43 yards on the ground. San Francisco plays a fairly favorable schedule down the stretch. Some dynasty leagues, you are still allowed to trade. Let's say that you're considering making a move for Mostert. Do you expect that Mostert has any value Beyond this season, it's probably worth noting that he will be in San Francisco next year, becomes an unrestricted free agent in 2022. Uh, no. I mean, I I think the intention would be even organizationally for him to have value, for him to uh, be the lead back. But I think there will always be a number two there. Whether that is uh, Tevin Coleman, I would kind of be skeptical that is Tevin Coleman. Maybe it's Jarek McKinnon. I would actually lean mainly to Jeff Wilson, who I think has looked pretty good whenever he's had opportunities. And he was the number two back in this game, actually ahead of Jarek McKinnon. Uh, he's younger. He's, I think, just as athletic as Raheem Mostert. Um, he's cheaper. I mean, I, I if I had to choose out of those two guys long term, I would actually go Wilson. Um, but for the short term, I would go with Mostert. But the fact that there is someone like Wilson, and if it's not Wilson, it's someone else. I mean, Shanahan has uh, no no problems at all finding these random running backs to plug into a system. Uh, if it's not Wilson, it's someone else. And the presence of that other player. I think long-term will keep Mostert uh, from reaching his potential. Yeah, I think Mostert is one of those players who was a great run while it lasted, and I think we're nearing the end of that run, and he's not one of those guys, if you look at the total profile, where we are in his career, and then just this season in specific, that it looks like this is something that will continue. Uh, talking about wide receivers, and let's frame this in conjunction with the expected costs. From a dynasty perspective, who's the better buy low option right now? And this is not to say that all of these players are grouped into the same tier, but uh, you know, if you're looking at it from a cost benefit, you know what you'd have to give up to get this player, what they might look like if things do turn around for them. Tell me who you'd prefer, Matt: Michael Thomas, Odell Beckham, or Marquise Brown? Marquise Brown, um, because I think. Whoever has him is really starting to lose patience, especially right now, because all of this COVID stuff is hitting the Ravens. Uh, and then Marquise Brown has seemingly been replaced uh, by Des Bryant as the number one, <laughs> the number one receiver on the team. Like it's just a situation where uh, the person who has had him has had him for two years uh, and has sort of been teased by his upside, but, there really hasn't been anything developing in the way of consistency. Uh, and so I think it would be easier to get him than it would be to get Thomas. Uh, and I don't want Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, as like either. a starting point. Like I just, I yep. don't want him. And then uh, I think based on some of the, the offers that I've received, you know, like, and maybe this is just someone who has Odell Beckham Jr. in a dynasty league trying to gauge what the market is, but uh, several managers with Odell Beckham Jr. have sent offers in dynasty leagues and they're just like, they're asking for first rounders or they're asking for other players that I just think of as like being worth more than Beckham at this point. And like, if that is at all representative of what the real market is for Beckham, I want no part of it at all. Right. Well, you know, an interesting way to think about Beckham's value is if you look at the wide receiver class that just entered 
you can very easily, very easily get to six receivers that you would rather have more than Beckham. So even considering him as a player that has a first round value, it is preposterous to me. Yeah. I mean, no way. No way. Um, so I originally kind of wanted to say out of out of these guys, I think personally, I still have the most interest in trying to capitalize on Michael Thomas because I do think it's possible, let's say he's not with the Saints next season, that you have a guy that returns to being a top five type of guy that is very dominant. And I think to me it's worth outlaying that because Marquise Brown, I'm not sure how much I believe in him. Um Granted, you do make a really good point about the value attached to him right now. This might likely be the lowest stretch in his career that you'll get for the next two, three years, maybe, unless things really bottom out and he's a worse player than I think he is, because I don't personally think that he's one of the best wide receivers in the league or one of the best fantasy options that you could have, but I do think he's better than where he has currently been playing uh, based upon a lot of factors in Baltimore. Yeah, I think whoever has Michael Thomas is not going to trade him cheaply, even though he hasn't done well this year. Like that person knows, like firsthand knows the benefit of having Michael Thomas on a fantasy team. Uh, And I mean, Thomas is still under contract uh, for next season. There's a potential out in his contract for 2022, but like really he's still under contract uh, in, uh, in New Orleans for like the next like four years. Uh, and, and so assuming that Sean Payton stays as head coach and assuming they figure out the quarterback situation, which I think they probably will because of just Sean Payton and the wizardry that he has, uh, I would, I would personally value Thomas really highly if I had him on my team. And then also if I were trying to acquire him and like, given how highly I value him, like that basically means I don't want, I don't want to trade for him because I don't want to pay um, at face value. Like I always want to be trying to get something of a discount. Okay. Um, I understand what you're saying there, but let me kind of frame this differently. Do you think that the value needed to give that you need to give up to acquire Michael Thomas is a value that's just at face value, or is it so much higher than the value that Thomas could have that for him to make up for that difference is what is holding you off? Or is it just that you're always looking for a discount? It's a little bit of all of that. Like, so it's, it is hard to, to project and to predict like how these guys are going to do in the future. Um, but like, I know that, uh, like Thomas one, I know that he's a good player, uh, and everyone knows that he's a good player. So like, there's no like hidden information edge that I might have on him, which means that just in terms of like acquiring him, like I'm not able to get him at a discount and I always want to try to get players at a discount, even if it's not like me getting them at a discount to their market. It's that like their market isn't properly factoring in the real inherent value that they have, you know, like that's sort of the sweet spot of like, you're actually like you're paying market price 